You are about to listen to a message from David Bendet, Senior Pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's desire is to see people lit on fire by God's love, His Word, and His presence. So prepare yourself to be inspired by the wind and the Word, and get fired up about what God's doing today. The title of my message is Being Intentionally Prepped or Intentionally Prepared. And this is a series that I've been talking about for the last several weeks because I want you focused on the most important thing right now. And so we're going to start out first with this scripture. It's um, Actually, I want to just recap First, first Peter chapter 4, verse 7. It says that the end of all things is at hand, therefore, at hand, therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. So to be serious means to be sober-minded or to be mentally put together in the sense of God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind, all right? So that's what it means to be serious. God doesn't, like, if I'm not careful when I preach, I can get a little too intense because I'm so passionate. So I need to lighten up, take a deep breath, try to get you to smile a little bit, tell you it's okay, tell myself it's okay. I don't have to be so angry and freaked out if everything doesn't go the way I think it should. I need to trust the Lord and let him lead us and guide us, right? But I'm still mentally put together. And I'm mentally put together in the sense that I'm not living my life in drunkenness and in sin patterns that I used to live my life in. It means that I committed myself to prayer and to being diligent in walking with the Lord. And so I had shared this on Wednesday, but Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16, I believe it is, says to uh, walk circumspectly. And the word circumspectly is the word acrobat in the Greek. And it means to walk a fine tightrope and let the Lord balance you and everything that's going on in your life and to be very, to pay attention to everything that you do. And what matters the most is that you're being spiritual in your life in everything that you do, not splitting hairs over dumb doctrinal differences. Okay? So now in, in my leadership, I need my leadership to be like-minded with me in doctrine. They have to have my heart because I'm, I'm establishing a culture here at this church. It's a culture of love. It's a culture of care. It's a culture of Christ. It's a culture of tenderness, right? But it'd be silly if I got up here and I started ranting and raving about the presidential campaign and who you shouldn't and shouldn't vote, who you shouldn't, shouldn't vote for. If I went off on these diatribes about Cruz and Trump and Clinton and all these different things, it's a waste of time. The purpose is much bigger in what we're doing from a kingdom perspective, Okay. And that applies to all these different topics. And I talked about that last week, from hell to vaccinations to drinking alcohol. What you've got to do is be spirit-led and not make somebody else stumble in something that you don't agree with or that you see differently. So, so Paul warns and says, look, don't make your freedom and liberty a stumbling block to somebody else. So if you have freedom and liberty to have a glass of wine but somebody else is a recovering alcoholic, you don't want to make them stumble and don't use your freedom and liberty. Instead, what you do, you do it privately and separately on your own, and you don't make a doctrinal teaching out of it. That's why you don't see me post all this kind of crazy stuff. I post life. I want to know about what you're doing. Here's some pictures of my kids. Hey, there's a car wash today. This is awesome. But I don't get on the political and the religious rant because I, it, it causes unnecessary division. <coughs> now, you can still have op opinions, and you can still maintain positions. Right? But it's out of relationship that I, that I listen to you and I trust you and want to hear what you say. It's out of relationship that those things are supposed to happen. And so, <coughs> excuse me. And so, he wants you to be sober-minded in the sense of he wants you to be, uh, to have a sound mind and be mentally put together and to always be on the lookout and watchful in your prayers. And that word prayer is to have a worshipful attitude in everything that you do in the way that you commune with the Lord. So my first way that I pray is, God, I love you. You're so awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Man, I don't understand why this bad thing just happened, but, Lord, I love you and trust you in the midst. That's my first line. But Jesus would also pray in a different way. And Jesus, there's a lot of different ways to pray. There's like seven or eight different words for prayer and understandings. There's petitioning the Lord. There's supplication where I'm entreating and coming to agreement with him. There's prayers of trust and confidence. And there's prayers of desperate begging God. All those are in the Bible. The, the, the man that came into the uh, synagogue crying out for mercy and begging God, came in to pray, begging God. He was begging, pleading, but he didn't fully understand God's kindness and God's faithfulness. So he was begging, but then God heard his prayer. 
So there's an understanding that there's different ways to pray. And this type of prayer, proskumai in the Greek means to, to trust God and supplicate means to entreat. Everybody say entreat. So the word entreat is, comes from the understanding of treaty, that I'm coming into agreement with what God has already said and established. So now when I look at Felicia and I pray for her or I talk to her, I'm suddenly seeing from an entreating treaty mindset of what God has already said about her life. So now I look at her from the way God sees her. So now when I pray, I stop praying goofball prayers like God burned down the strip club. That's a dumb prayer. Or, or the, the guy smoking, the Christian smoking cigarettes, make them sick, God. Just make them sick. Stupid prayers. They're dumb prayers. I'll just tell you right now, it's a dumb religious prayer. The prayer is... God, I thank you for setting that strip club owner free and saving those dancers. And I thank you, God, that, th that when you save them, they won't even want to have the business anymore. and It'll just close down. Because, yes. yes, I want to see the strip clubs close down. But I really want to see the strip club owner and the dancers get born again. So I'm not going to go on some petition crave, crazy thing, petitioning cheetahs, for goodness sakes. And they've, the owner's been here, apparently. Really? I didn't even know that. So hopefully he felt love. Because love transforms. That's cool. See? Didn't even know that. Now, can you imagine if we sent a delegation to petition the strip club like so many other Christians have done and giving us a bad name? I hate that. Don't be that guy. Then he goes on to say, pray without ceasing, being rejoiceful, always being thankful. I love that. I've been saying it for, this is the third time I've said it. I just feel like I have to keep saying it because we get out of the understanding of always being grateful. And instead, you get your eyes on your problems and your issues. And trust me, it is so hard sometimes. It is so hard. I mean, we're changing diapers nonstop. We're dealing with meltdown babies. We, we've got... Our house is trashed 99% of the time, food everywhere, all over the floor, goldfish. I'm, getting at, I'm finding goldfish in my bed. I don't know how that's happening. <laughs> I grabbed the iPad, which had sticky stuff all of it, which was covered with ants on the inside, and I'm looking at the iPad in my bed, and then my bed's covered in ants. How do you be thankful in that time? <laughs> I mean, I can tell you story after story after story. I understand. We, Amber and I don't always agree. It's, it's pressure. There's stress. There's challenges. There's struggles. But I love her, and I'm committed to her, and I'm learning what it means to be thankful for everything in the midst of it. I'm sorry, in everything, not for it. So I'm not saying, God, thank you for those ants in my bed. <laughs> it's so funny. It's so silly, but it's so true. This is life, everybody. So you learn to be thankful in the midst of it. And you're not going to quench the spirit. You're not going to put out the fire of God. God wants you to be on fire. He wants you to be on fire. So 1 Peter 4, 7 says the end of all things is at hand. Be serious and watchful. Verse 8, above all things, have fervent love. Now, the word fervent means to be intentional. Everybody stay in, say intentional. It's intentional, and it means you're not going to stop. And the word in the Greek, my mom could probably say it better. I, I wish she would have taught me, but I guess I'm learning Greek now. Is, is ektenis, and it means, it means to be intentional, but it's related to the word ektino, and that is the word to reach out and stretch. And the same principle and understanding came in Mark 3 when Jesus went into the synagogue and the man with the withered up hand was there and he told the man to stand up or awaken. If you actually research it, it means wake up. And the, the man with the, with the withered hand stands up and Jesus says, stretch out your hand. And that's what it means. It's the same understanding of being fervent towards one another. So when he says, uh, have fervent love for one another, Here's what that means. It means that if you are lonely and you feel like nobody cares and nobody's reaching out to you, that you're the one that stretches out your hand. So I'm stretching out to God first. I'm reaching for the Lord. I'm fervent first for my, uh, love towards him, but then I'm fervent towards you, towards you, towards you. I'm fervent in my love towards all of you. 
and I'm staying diligent, and I'm staying faithful, and I'm staying committed, and I'm not going to wait for somebody else to do it. And this isn't a personality thing. How you love it has nothing to do with being introverted or extroverted. Okay, so when you see it says be hospitable to one another, the word hospitable means to be fond of guests and to like people. Okay, so he's, he wants you to be hospitable without grumbling and complaining and murmuring. He doesn't want you back, you know, there's a lot of things you can complain about at Rock City Church. For goodness sakes, we're only a few years old. We're learning, and it's hard to figure out how to do things in a non-institutionalized, programmed way. But you can be frustrated with all kinds of people, and frustration can cause division. And God is telling you, your responsibility is to be hospitable towards even your spouse. And we all have to learn this and what it means to be fond of guests and fond of people and to to prefer people even when they're strangers. You know, uh, Paul said to not be afraid to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels. That's why I don't teach my kids stranger danger. Instead, what I do is I teach them, hey, not everybody's safe. So be wise. Don't go with somebody alone. Don't take candy from somebody you don't know. I mean, the basics. And I watch them. And, you know, until they're mature enough to make good decisions, I'm going to keep good tabs on where they're at and what they're doing with freedom, not control. But I'm going to teach them what it means to set up a good heart guard around their life. And I'm going to do that as well. (coughs) But not teach them that everybody could be dangerous and don't trust anybody. It's a terrible way to live. And it's not the kingdom way. So I love it when I meet somebody that wholeheartedly is a really good person. And my child just goes right up, looks at him, waves, watches him, stays by their side, isn't freaked out, isn't hiding. Okay, because I don't want them to be afraid. I don't want to teach my kids fear. Now, that's my own thing. That was a little personal rant, side note thing from me. That's how we teach our kids, okay? So uh, the Lord wants you to, to be hospitable. He wants you to have fervent love. He wants you to stretch your hands out towards one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, is it possible when Jesus healed the man with the withered hand that he had sin in his life? Most likely. Can God heal you even if there's sin in your life? 100% yes. And so love covers. So you've got to be spirit-led in how you respond to people. Some people need tough love. Some people need fervent love. Some people need kind sympathy and, ap- and to, for you to be empathetic towards them. Okay? So you've got to be spirit-led in that. But the point is, is when people come up and confess sin to me, whether it's pornography or all kinds of stuff I've heard, whatever it is, They need to know that they're safe, and they know that they're safe because I love them, and out of relationship, they know they can talk to me. Now, I need to reproduce that in my leaders so that not everybody's wanting to dump all your stuff on me, but you need somebody to talk to, and then I need to get you healthy so that people will want to talk with you, and they know that if I come to you, your love will cover my sin. It doesn't mean I'm going to keep it secret and say, it's okay, man. Keep cheating on your wife. It's all right. I cover that. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is when as soon as somebody knows that they're safe and they talk to you about their sin, they instantly are in the path of freedom because you talked about it. To the degree you keep it in the light is to the degree you'll be free. And what I'm trying to do is get people to come to the light, not hide from the light and stay in darkness. Man, that was a great point I just made. Do you see that? Do you see how that works? And so if I take staunch positions on all kinds of things, then suddenly... I bring division, and I can push people away. If I'm going to take a staunch decision, it's going to be on the love and the beauty and the power of Christ. That's my cause. That's my purpose. That's your cause. That's your purpose. Okay? And that doesn't mean you don't vote, and it doesn't mean you don't make decisions that you feel are spirit-led by your vaccinations or hell or drinking or whatever it is. I want you to be spirit-led. And if the Holy Spirit tells you that he doesn't want you to do that, then you don't do it. And that's just the way it is, all right? And so... We've got to be hospitable. I want to briefly look at what, how Jesus prayed in one way. He prayed several different ways, but this is one way I really like. Hebrews 5, 6, as he says in another place, you're a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. I need to apologize, or um, I, w- I do need to apologize and eat a little humble, pl- humble pie because I've taught you guys something doctrinally that was an error. Okay, I taught you guys something that I, I believe the Lord's in it, and I kind of was set up by it, but I did teach you something that was a mistake. Okay? So I'll tell you what it is. I told you a few weeks ago that the name Melchizedek meant fire. 
okay? And the name doesn't mean fire. And now, of course, everything's kind of fire to me. So it was like a <laughs> I, I kind of giggled when I realized I had made the mistake, but I want to explain to you because you don't hear this enough from pastors. And if I make a mistake, I want to correct it because I want to teach you doctrinally right, okay? <clears throat> and so uh, one of the things that I do when I study the word is I try to find out what Jesus is really meaning or what the word's really trying to say. So I look at literary context, historical context, what's the, the purpose, what it is, and I often look at the Greek or the Hebrew words. And I do that because the original text of the Bible was written in a language that had much more depth and meaning to it. So I'm not up here to try to just wow you with a lot of Greek words and go over your head, but what I'm trying to do is help you understand the deeper understanding of that word and what it can mean because it makes you go, aha, it puts it into a better context, okay? And so as, uh, the, one of the ways that I do that is I use the Strong's Concordance, and I have it on my iPad. It's $5, and what I do is as I'm reading my Bible, I just a word will jump out to me. And I'm like, what does that word really mean? And I go to my concordance, and I click that word. Now, there's a lot of Bibles, like the Touch Bible, the E-Sword, that have the concordance built in So while you're reading it. But I have a separate concordance because I like to look at it in a couple different versions. And so when I looked up the word Melchizedek, which actually means king of righteousness, okay, that's what it actually means. But when you look it up, and this is, was so cool, when you look it up in the Greek, this scripture right here in the order of Melchizedek, it says, the concordance says, Hebrew, from Hebrew origin, and it has a number, 4442. And when you click on that number, it takes you to that Strong's Concordance definition. Well, 4442 in the Greek is the word poor. Not P-O-O-R, it's P-U-R, but it's pronounced poor. And it means fire. So I clicked on the word and it took me to fire. I'm like, wow. But where it was supposed to take me to was the Hebrew Strong's Concordance number of 4442, which is Melchizedek, king of righteousness. But instead it took me to the Greek. Now I find it oddly ironic that the Hebrew Strong's number of 4442 for Melchizedek is the same number as the Greek 4442 for fire. And I do think there's a correlation. But I did tell you Melchizedek's name meant fire. It was a mistake. And I giggled at it. <laughs> Not so bad. I didn't lead anybody astray. Doctrinal damnation. All right. Now, I'd like you guys to study out Melchizedek because it's mentioned uh, actually ten times in the Bible. Melchizedek is mentioned with nine of those times in the New Testament that Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek and what that means. Verse 7, who in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his godly fear. Leave verse 7 up there for a moment. Jesus in the days of his flesh, offered up prayers and supplication. And this word for prayers is the word desis in the Greek, and it means he was petitioning and making a request of God. And then it says supplication. In his prayers and requests, he was coming into agreement with what God had already said, and he was doing it in a vehement way. Everybody say vehement. The word vehement means forcible, powerful, mighty, strong, and valiant. So Jesus wasn't crying out to God in some sissy, scary, fearful way. There was pain, there was, there was going to be great pain, and there was suffering in his life, and he was crying out to God in, with vehement tears. He was in the garden crying tears like blood, but he was crying out to God with a confident trust in the Lord, and that God would do what he said he would do because he had the fear of God in his life. And the Bible says that the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge, and to really know lo the Lord, you have to first have a reverent, holy fear of him. And fear not in a terrorist way. God's not that kind of terrorist. Now, the world that doesn't know him and his enemies can see him as a terrorist. But I'm telling you that the fear of God is, God, I love you. I trust you. And I know you could wipe me out in a second because you're the creator of the universe. But in your kindness and your mercy and your grace and your nature, I don't believe you will. And I don't believe you've come to condemn me. But I know that in your awesomeness of who you are and what you've done, 
that you're the creator and therefore I worship you and I've got a reverent fear. It can also mean that I fear the outcome of not doing what he told me to do. Okay? I can, you can fear the outcome or, or what the circumstance. So if God tells me to do something and I don't do it, then I could miss something that he wanted for me, a blessing, who knows what it was. Or I could create a circumstance or situation. If I lead this church without hearing his voice in the fear of the Lord and being obedient to what he tells me, I could lead a whole church astray. So I have to have godly fear. And I trust him. And I'm, it's a reverent responsibility before the Lord. And I worship him in awesomeness. I'm in awe of him. And so he cried out these tears that God would save him from death. Did God save him from death? The answer is yes. He, though he died on the cross, he resurrected, so he lives today. He experienced death. He tasted it for us, but now he's resurrected, and so he lives. So if you look here, it says that uh, God was able to save him. And verse 8 says, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And what I want you guys to know is sometimes going through difficult situations and trials and tribulations, in fact, most of the time, if you'll honor the Lord and be obedient to what he says, you'll actually learn obedience and you'll learn who God is in the midst of difficult times. That's why here in a second in, in uh, Luke 9 and Luke 10, when he sent out the 12 and then the 70, he said, don't take anything with you because I don't want you to have self-reliance. I want you to have reliance on me and my provision for you. Okay? And whenever you get on fire for the Lord, you're going to have persecution. I'm just letting you know. Now, you don't need to go bring persecution on yourself. It'll come naturally. And most, most Christians in America are not being persecuted. You think this is tough? This is nothing. The intolerance thing, the transgender thing, the gay marriage thing. Listen, when they're coming to stone you and kill you and, and beat you up and hate you and you lose jobs and all these other things, and we're seeing some glimpses of that now, but I'm telling you, we have it pretty good in our country. Now, they're being persecuted heavily in China and North Korea. I mean, heavily right now, major persecution. So we have liberties and freedoms that we can't take for granted. But what you need to understand is you learn to trust the Lord when you go through difficult times. And I'm not talking about difficult. You can still learn to trust the Lord in sickness and when you're living paycheck to paycheck. But that's not the suffering he wants for you. When I see somebody dumpster diving in the back of the church, the first thing I tell them whenever I go talk to them is I say, this isn't God's best for you. The first thing I want them to know is God has a better life for them. It's the first thing. So we got to put suffering into context. But you can suffer in denying yourself and denying your flesh and overcoming hardships. And in all those things, you can learn the Lord. But the real suffering that we're going to really face is persecution. And so Jesus was persecuted heavily. And it says in verse 9 that he was perfected. He became the author of our eternal salvation to all who obey him. So there has to be obedience, but faith has to come first. There must be faith first before obedience. And so if you grew up in a church where everything was obey, 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 if you grew up in a family where everything was obey, 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 and there wasn't understanding and explanation, I mean, we do our best to try to explain to our three-year-old why they can't dump fish food all over the floor and why they can't just dump the whole thing into the fish tank. We do our best to explain why they can't steal Mickey Mouse toys from each other. We do our best to explain why hitting is not the answer and scratching and biting and pulling hair. You have to teach kids. And, and you know, it's hard sometimes, but I try, we try to explain to them to the best of our ability, instead of just taking the stance of I'm the dad, you're the daughter, just do what I tell you and stop doing it. Now, granted, if they keep saying no, 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 and they keep hitting and they keep hitting, at some point, you know, you're the one that's over them to teach them what it means to do right and wrong. But at some point, they make the decision for them. And so Jesus would learn obedience through going through the difficult things that he went through. And he would learn to trust the Lord. And my hope and my prayer is that my kids would learn as they get older to make the right choices and the right decisions based on our example and based on understanding. And so faith always has to come first. Abraham was, it was accounted to Abraham as a friend of God and that he was made righteous because he first had faith and then he obeyed God. Faith always has to come first. It's the very elementary principle of the kingdom is faith towards God. 
It's really the first thing is teaching people to have confident faith and trust in the Lord that will see you through and you can move mountains and you can be healed and you can have authority over every demonic spirit that's on this earth. <coughs> you guys okay? Are you, I'm like, I hope I'm not putting you to sleep this morning. So I'm teaching you some today, all right? And so <clears throat> it was a process of becoming perfected, just like we're in this process of being perfected. He sees us as perfect, but he's also sanctifying us. So it's a process of becoming more like him. So it says he became the author to all who obey him. Obe obedience is important. I want to tell you something about obedience today. If you actually study this word out, obey, here's what the first meaning of the word obey is. You would think it means to do what I'm telling you to do, but it isn't. The first thing is, is to listen attentively. That's why I make one of the prime focuses of Rock City Church hearing God's voice. Because if you can, how can you obey something you don't hear? And what the church is full of is full of people that are following a system of rules and obedience without people hearing the voice of the Lord. You're doing it just because religion tells you to do it. And I don't ever want that. I want you to, be, to have liberty by the Holy Spirit and to hear God's voice. And it's hearing God's voice that's the ultimate game changer. It sets you on fire. How can you obey what you don't hear? That's why it takes faith to first hear God. And you have to learn how to hear God by faith. And you learn over time, and you practice his presence, and you practice, you know, hearing his voice. And you make some mistakes. You're not going to be perfect in it every time, but you grow into maturity in that area. And so to be obedient is first to listen. It's to hear, and it's to hearken. Everybody say hearken. I want you to say that today so you just don't sing it at Christmas. You got to say it twice a year, all right? Hearken. It's just, you know, hearken. Hearken, son, is just su such an odd word. But you know what hearken means. It means I've heard, and now I'm hearkening. I'm coming to that voice, okay? And it means to heed the command. Obedience is heed the command. So you can't teach obedience, and you can't understand obedience until you first hear the voice of the Lord and what he's telling you. you got to get into his word. you got to hear his logos and his rhema word. His word is the foundation of everything in order for you to know where you're to go and what you're to do. You can't be obedient until you first Learn to hear the voice of the Lord. Otherwise, it's a set of religious systems. Relationship is key. I thought that was a great point. <laughs> All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to conclude with two quick stories from Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 10. And these are two stories of two back-to-back uh, -back chapters where Jesus would, early on in the ministry, send out the 12 disciples to go on an outreach. And then in Luke 10, after the 12 went, he then sent the 12 with, and there's, the numbers are, are a little, there's a little bit of uh, discrepancy on whether it was 72 or 70. But I, I believe that the disciples, the original 12, were with the next group that was sent out, okay? Because they would be the ones that would lead by example. So to keep it simple for you, early on in Jesus' ministry, after demonstrating to the disciples what he could do, he then sent them out to do it. So he handed the power and authority to them and said, go do something. And then in the next chapter, he sent out 70 or 72, all right? And he sent them out two by two. I want you to look at what he sent them out to do. If there's anything you get from this next sec section of ministry this morning, is I want you to see what he told them to do. So if he's sending out 12 and he's sending out a larger group of 70, there was a specific purpose and intention of what he wanted them to do. And if he wanted them to do it, he wants us to do it. All right? Okay. Luke 9, and I'm going to just break this down. We're going to go through it scripture by scripture. I've got all the notes, the outline here. I spent hours and hours and hours researching this stuff. I'm just going to break it down for you as simple as I can and as quick as I can so we can pray. Luke 9, then he called. Everything starts with a calling. And you've got to answer the call. And when you don't answer the call, you're running from the promises and the purposes of God. And whenever you're not being, hearing his voice and knowing what he's called you to do, you're disoriented and you live your life walking in circles. So if you ever come back to a crossroads, you're like, I've been here before, I've been here before. Why can't I ever break out of this rut? Answering the call of God breaks you out of the rut. Okay? And so he first calls you. Now, I have recently, I haven't gone through it on the screen and, and a full-scale teaching 
But King David said, create in me a clean heart. Psalm 51.10, I believe. He said, create in me a clean heart. The, the understanding of being a new creation is this. When God makes you a new creation, here's how it goes. He picks you and he calls you first. And when you answer the call, he cuts you like a tree. So he sees a beautiful piece of furniture from a tree. So what he does is he cuts you and then he recreates you to be an, if you're a fur, think of a furniture maker. You're picking the wood, you're, create, you're cutting it down, you're creating it, you're selling it, and it's a never-ending cycle. Here's another way for me to explain it to you. It, how many of you like to cook? If you really like to cook, you probably have a lot of spices and seasonings in your kitchen, okay? And so what you do is you pick your spices and you, you pick them, you choose them, you use them, you make a meal, you eat it, and then the process starts again day by day. You're making, you're creating, and you're cooking. And that's what God's doing with us is he picks us so he may cut you down as a tree, but the tree is always established. Actually, the tree comes stronger in his cutting. So think of circumcision in the heart. So God circumcises our heart so that anything that's of us is removed. So God's in a process of wanting to remove anything that's of you. That's why he would send them out with nothing. And you say, God, you've called me to do so much, but I have nothing. You think God can't give you what you need to do what you're called to do? And so in this story, you're going to see where God would actually provide for them through other people. And see, it's not a matter of social status based on money. It's a matter of being faithful with the little that you have. And, where, and if God gives you more, that's his choice and his prerogative. And if you want more, then be faithful. And it's okay to want more. I say, God, I'm asking for more. Get, I got a whole other business idea cooking up in my brain right now. Yes, I know it's going to shock you if I start another business. But hey, if the Lord's telling me to do it, I'm going to do it. And he'll give me the grace and capacity to do it, right? So I say, God, I, I, I got to have more. He says, keep being faithful with the little that you have. The, the answer to the more is the faithful with the little that you have right now, okay? It's trust. And so he calls, he chooses, he creates, and he sends. So he would call first. He called them together, and he gave them power and authority. Now, power and authority are two different words. Authority is jurisdiction. It's the word exousia in the Greek, and power is dunamis in the Greek, and that means miraculous working dynamite, effective miraculous power. So exousia is ambassador. I'm putting you in charge. I'm delegating responsibility. Dunamis is, in a sense, the, the exercising of that power. Think of a police officer. Your exousia is you've been appointed by the city to be a police officer. You have a badge, and now you can arrest me or take authority into a situation at any time. And if, I don't, if somebody doesn't listen, you have greater things that you can use from, from uh, stun guns and your gun, for goodness sakes. You know what I mean? And so they have power and authority. So it's kind of the same principle and the same concept in the kingdom. And to really understand power, you have to understand authority. So if you want to see the dead raised and the miraculous and interpret dreams and prophesy, you first need to know him and hear his voice and understand who you are and your confident identity as a son and as a daughter. And when you understand who you are as a son and a daughter and you understand your exousia, then you understand your dunamis. Because R.C., can walk in the supernatural power of God with her family and in her neighborhood despite her circumstances of being in a wheelchair or her financial income. Yeah. You're no less spiritual and equipped than I am. That's how the kingdom works. Do you understand that? That's why we can be in a room together with people of all different walks of life because God doesn't look at color. It's not a color thing. It's not a money thing. It's not a personality thing. Man, I think I'm preaching pretty good today. Yeah. So what did he, what's the first thing he did? He gave them power and authority over what? Over demons. Now, you need to understand demons, it's here in the scripture. Now, what does this mean? It means that anything that the darkness brings every day in everything you have authority over. So you have authority over sin. You have authority over lies. You have authority over deception. You have authority over addiction. Right when you get born again. These disciples were very young in the Lord. They didn't have any practice, and he sends them out. They just watched Jesus do it. Now he's sending them out to do it, and they would learn in the doing. They would learn in the going. So he gave them power and authority to preach the kingdom and heal the sick. Now, uh, I want to point out that there's a difference between cure and a difference between heal. Thank, my mom has really helped me understand this because she's like, I don't want to just be healed. I want to be cured. 
The word cure in the Greek is actually the word, I'm sure I won't say it right, but therapuo, and it's where you get the word therapy. Now, the word therapy means to wait and tend upon, to serve and to take care of. Hence, rehabilitation, therapy, and loving and caring for people. So there are addicts that are, there was, a, there was three people that have struggled in their past with addiction that have been transformed front row at the 9 o'clock. And there's some of you here that have overcome certain things. Some of you have overcome being here. By loving and by tending to and by caring and by serving and being present and stretching out our hand, loving fervently, what happens is, is people become cured. They overcome and they become fully healed. So we can cure people through therapy by serving and waiting upon them. That's what we're called to do. That's why Jesus would say, don't go house to house. Don't just go door knocking for evangelism purposes to see how many people can get saved. But when you go to a house and somebody receives you, go in and eat with them and dine with them because discipleship and relationship would be key. Verse 2, he sent them. The word sent is the word apostello, and it's where we get the title apostolic. God wants every one of you to be apostolic. Now, let me break down apostolic for you. It means to set apart, put in, send, and set at liberty. Okay, so here's how this works. You girls stand up. Okay, stand right here and look towards people. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. I own, we own this shop. It's in the church's name, but I have the authority as the president of the organization to make decisions on behalf of the property along with the board that speaks into my life, but I have the ultimate say. Now, I want, I've chosen you, I've picked you, now I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to commission you, and I'm going to send you. I want you to go out those front doors and make a left, and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit where you're supposed to go, and I want you to go do whatever the Lord tells you to do and speak to somebody as the Lord leads you and come back and report it to me, okay? Stretch your hands towards these girls. Lord, thank you for Melody and Felicia. I give you full authority and power as a representative of Rock City Church and the kingdom of God to go and speak life and breath into whoever God leads you to. I put it into you, and now I set you at liberty to go do it. In Jesus' name. Okay, go. Just leave your stuff here. Hurry. I did that to Ryan last service, and Ryan came back. God led him into Dollar General to a customer, and he was very strategic. He's done it before. The guy walks out, and he speaks a word into the guy's life. The guy starts weeping and crying right in front of Dollar General. Now, how much red tape and training do you really need? I'm going to show you. Because of time, I'm going to fast forward to when Jesus sent out the 70. Luke 10. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them out two by two into every city and place where he himself was about to go. He said, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are short. We have a worker shortage. I need all of you to rise up and become workers, okay? I'm telling you right now, I don't exactly know how to do it. I don't want to just put a bunch of so novice Christians that you're going to go and create more destruction, but I also don't want to hold you back. I don't fully know how to do it except to say Jesus empowered you and I'm sending you and the world is your mission field. Okay, I, I'm just telling you, I want, to, I want you to catch something. He says, he sends him out, verse 3, he says, go your way. I'm sending you as lamb amongst wolves. So you've got to have the understanding right off the bat that people are going to want to devour you. Those girls could get rejected right now. They probably won't because they're so cute and they know how to prophesy. <laughs> okay, but the point is, is you need to understand he sends you as wolves, lambs amongst wolves. So don't get sidetracked by the wolves. Just be a lamb, okay? And you're not going to get eaten up and devoured because they didn't get devoured. You're not going to. Just represent Christ. And so he says, Carrie, don't take anything with you. Now, I'm I'm not going to get to this today, but later, right before Jesus would leave, he would resend the disciples, and he'd say, this time, take everything with you, including a sword. Because first you learn to be faithful when you don't have I don't know how else to keep telling you. I know it's hard. I'm sorry it's hard. 
But God knows and loves you. And he will fully equip you if you will learn what it means to do it when you do not have. You are not, you don't have to measure up. Just trust him with where you're at. And I promise you, he'll raise you up. I'm not going to get to that other scripture. I'm just telling you it goes on. And he says, um, I wanted to point this one thing out to you. Verse 4, don't take anything and don't greet anyone along the road. I'm like, don't greet anyone along the road. What does that mean? Lord, Lord, he says, don't get distracted. You have a divine appointment. If you'll follow the Holy Spirit, you'll have divine appointments everywhere around you. And some of you are getting distracted by greeting people along the road. Now, you ask the Lord about that. And then verse 8, I'll just conc- or verse 9, he says, heal the sick, say to them, the kingdom of God's come near to you. Now, there's so much in that, but I've run out of time. I just want to show you this, Luke 10, 17. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us. They were rejoicing. And Jesus says, you think that's good, I'll one-up you. I saw Satan fall like lightning. I love that. He's like, oh, that was good. You used to think the demons were subject to you? That's awesome. I saw Satan fall like lightning. Jesus just having fun. He's like, that's awesome, but I'm going to show you the even more than that, okay? And he says, I'm giving you authority. Now, I want you to also notice in this, ver- in this bank of scriptures, Jesus did not give the power and the authority to the 70 until after they came back. The 12 went who had already done it, and they were the ones that were the examples to the other people. Then when they came back, they knew it. So I can tell you, R.C., all day long about what, how powerful it is to interpret dreams and prophesy and cast out demons. But until you start doing it, you will not fully understand the power and the authority that God's given you. I'll just be blowing smoke and you'll be hearing it. If I cannot spur you on to start doing this stuff, it's just a waste of time. It's not about comfortable programs and a nice place for you to do your church duty. This is way more than that. And so I'm going to point this one awesome thing out to you and then we're going to pray. Nathan, come on up. The kids are having fun, I can assure you. <laughs> Just follow me with this. I'm going to point something out to you that's going to rock you. And some of you that have been in religious, institutionalized churches are about to get so set free. You're new to this church, or you grew up in denominational religious constraints, I'm about to set you free. Okay? He says, behold, I give you authority, verse 19, to trample. So on your path, underneath my feet, are serpent scorpions, which represents the demonic and everything they represent, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing by any means will hurt you. But nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. So the, the supernatural is cool to me, but I'm not rejoicing in that. I'm rejoicing first that my name's written in heaven, that I'm born again, and I have an intimate relationship with him. Okay? Now, says, this word for rejoice, don't rejoice in that. This word for rejoice is the word kairo, and it means to be cheerful and calmly happy. So think about it. They came back, and they were like, man, even the demons are subject. Watch Jesus' response. Verse 21, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced. But if you look up this word rejoice, and again, I'm sure I'm not saying them at all right, it's a... It's ahialo, and it means to leap and twirl and jump with exceeding joy and ecstatic, wild praise. So when we're calmly cheerful, which we should always be, when, when, the, when the disciples, actually another thing too is when he sent out the disciples and they came back, the Bible says they were called apostles. To, to step into apostle. Those girls have now become apostles. I don't know what they're doing right now. They're going to bring a report back, hopefully, before the service ends. I'm telling you that you are all called to be apostolic. Now, here's the cool thing. This is the freeing thing. He rejoiced. Jesus starts jumping, dancing, and leaping. And he says, thank you, Father. Lord of heaven and earth, this is what I really wanted you to catch. That you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent. And you revealed them to babes. He hid them from the intellectual. He hid them from those that were too smart for their own good. 
the wise and the prudent. And again, it doesn't mean God doesn't want you to be intellectual and wise, but he wants it submitted to him. Jesus is just rejoicing because the mysteries of the kingdom of God and the power was revealed to babes. You know what babes are? Babes are young Christians, spiritually young. And if we're not careful, we'll fall prey to the trap that you've just given your life to the Lord and you, gotta, you won't have power and authority for five years and you better go through every class and you better get more deliverance and you better do this and you better do that. And I'm telling you that Jesus handed the power and the authority to everyone that gets born again. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not a growth process. It doesn't mean there's not a healing process. You've got to discover your process. But what I want you to know is that he sent out young, spiritually immature Christians and if you're not careful, you'll fall prey to the trap to think, I'm not good enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not mature enough, I haven't been serving the Lord long enough, and you'll limit yourself and you put yourself on a timeline that's not God's timeline. The mysteries of the kingdom of God are revealed to the sons and daughters, and he hides them. Jesus rejoiced that not even that they did the stuff, he rejoiced that they got it. That, they, that the mysteries of the kingdom were coming to you and to you. And so stop thinking yourself less than. Don't despise the youth. Believe in yourself again. You can do this stuff. And if it's in the Bible, get hungry for it. Because when you're hungry for it, you will see it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake, for they shall be filled. Don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery and excess, but be filled, crammed, stuffed, fully furnished with the Holy Spirit. Let's all stand. Yeah! Woo! Just keep that scripture up for a second. That's such a good, man, this, this whole scripture right here is incredible. He lifted the lid for the children. Revealed as apocalypto, he lifted the lid for the children. And unless you become like a child. You know what I see in all of you? I don't see your sin patterns and your shortcomings and all your issues and you're so screwed up. You know what I see? I see an army. I see sons and daughters. Hey, you're back. What happened? Get the, come up here. Hurry. Now listen, it doesn't matter whether they rejected you, didn't like it, it went bad, it doesn't matter. Just tell us the story. You guys want to know or should we end? So we waited a little bit. Felicia had to go to the bathroom. So she ran out there to the bathroom and then we walked out. And as soon as we walked out. You walked outside? We walked outside. Okay. And we took a left. And this family came and went into Dollar General and we kept walking. And then we kind of were like, looked at each other like, we're supposed to go back. So we go back, and, like, we're trying to follow them in the store, so we're, like, going through all the aisles because they keep going, making circles. And then finally we come in front to um, a mother and her daughter. She's about five years old. And we just asked her, hey, how are you doing today? And we, could, we heard her kind of frustrated, and she was like, stop asking me questions right now to the little girl, and I'm frustrated, and let me just focus right now, okay? Yeah, she's like, I have a million things on my mind. You could just feel, like, the pressure and the stress on her. And so I just said, hey, how are you doing today? And she said, I'm okay. And I was like, is there anything that we can pray for you for, for you and your family? She was like, yeah, for direction. She was like, so many doors are open right now, but I just don't know what to do or where to go. So I just want direction. And so we prayed for her and her daughter. And I, I felt like I was just, I just felt so much power. And we, oh, man. It was incredible. And this little girl, and she told her daughter, yeah, let's pray. You know how to pray. You know how to pray. And it was like awesome it was so powerful her, the daughter's name was lavender like how cool is that and yeah. so we just prayed for them just told them how much god loved them and just prayed for direction and that you know god is the ultimate compass for them and she was just looked at us and she was like wow i got so much from that and there's just we were hot like, there was so much fire and so so yeah, yeah it was awesome. <laughs> okay good job high five high five You know, when Jesus sent out the 12, I didn't make this point because I ran out of time, but when Jesus sent out the 12, as soon as they were done, Jesus took them, he retreated to Beth, Bethsaida and to a desert place. And the word, yeah, you have something to say? Uh-oh. 
This is Adam, by the way. Hey. So I haven't been in the service, been out in the lobby, and they came out, and they said what they're going to do. And so I just walked out with them, and they took off, and the family was coming in. I was like, Spirit of God said, that's them that they're going to talk to. And Felicia, and they walked, kept on going, and they ended up coming back. And I told Skip, I said, it was a family that, that's walking in the Dollar General that they're going to get a word. And then they just confirmed it. The Spirit of God is alive. Yeah. Jesus is alive. Yeah. He speaks. Woo. Hear him. You have ears to hear. That's right. Yeah, baby. This is, this is awesome church. I'm telling you, this is awesome church. I mean, who gets a Dollar General mission field right next to the front door? I mean, seriously. I mean, look, if Dollar General's staying, we are going to make them our mission field, all right? <laughs> so uh, Jesus retreats to a desert place in Bethsaida, which means fish house. I didn't get to that today. I did at the first service. So basically, Jesus is going to teach them and clean them up even more and refine them in a secret place. The, the desert place, Bethsaida, means lonely and isolated. When you start doing this type of stuff, God wants you to be secure in him and retreat into his presence to get your confidence and strength from him. So I just want to encourage you. These girls, that was as much for them as it was for the family over there. They're never going to forget that. It doesn't matter if they come to this church. What matters is, is they heard the voice of the Lord and something clicked and awakened in their heart to be on fire. I'm proud of you girls. Does that feel good? Yeah. See, when you start doing it, you go, yeah, I have power and authority. They had so much fire on them. This is it, man. This is it. This is you. You've got to see yourself the way God sees you. And when you see that, you'll want to lay down the grumbling and the murmuring and the complaining and the sin and the carnal nature. You get fascinated with God. He wants to fascinate you. Okay, so just close your eyes. Somebody right now is getting so touched. Somebody has never felt what they're feeling right now. This is a touch from God. You have been listening to a message from David Bindet, Senior Pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's prayer is for a deeper understanding of God's love and purpose for your life, and that all of us would grow into a greater awareness of our identity in Christ. Thank you for listening, and until next time, stay fired up.